Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Elizabeth Dutton. Yes, Zarin Burnett. You know what's ridiculous? Yeah, I'll tell you what's ridiculous. The French word for dandelion is pissenlit, and that translates to wet the bed. I literally thought you said on me. I said pissenlit. Same thing. Pissenlit. Pissenlit. Yeah. And it's because dandelions, uh, the leaves have diuretic properties. Make you wet your bed. Oh. What is is lit in French? L-I-T is bed. Oh, that's what you were saying. Mm-hmm. I'm over. See, I read French. Do not hear French. Okay. Well, yeah. So that's 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 what I think is ridiculous. That's a pretty good one. That that is darn good. Yeah. I mean, we could just stop the show. Well, I'm trying to do ridiculous. I'm trying to tell you about stuff that's like a ridiculous fact rather than my normal mini Andy Rooney. <laughs> what's irritating me today? <laughs> So you're taking my tack of like, you know, the blue whale's aorta is big enough to drive a VW I'm, I'm through. T- I'm test driving that. See yeah, how it feels. It's fun, isn't it? It is. Well, I've got a story for you. So how about a story that's about the real life inspiration for Marlon Brando's role, Sky Masterson, in the musical Guys and Dolls. And a friend of that real life inspiration, another man who himself inspired the role of the big bank role, the villain in the first season of Boardwalk Empire. Oh, this has so many good elements. Right? I love it. All these references. Ready to get ridiculous? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth. Zarin. This story, it takes place in the 20th century. Okay. And we'll pretty much be covering a lot of the architects, if you will, of the underworld and organized crime of America. You're going to hear some amazing names. It's like a Hall of Fame roster. I love it. You like? I do. Here we go. The two men we're going to focus on today have great names. They were called Titanic Thompson and Arnold the Brain Rothstein. I am already loving this. Right? 100%. You're you're like ankles deep in the water wading in, right? Yes. Okay. So the Brain was a gangster. He was a banker for criminals, and he's known as the architect of American drug distribution. Oh. Yes. He came up with the model for basically financing heroin. Well done, sir. Heroin was like a new drug back then. He's like, I've got a way to make this pay. And was like, (laughs) hit me with a brain. Oh, boy. But that's not the story we're going to tell. We're going to talk about him as a gambler. Now, there's also Titanic Thompson. He was a con man, a professional traveling gambler, a road hustler, if you will. And he was a man who could get one over on just about anyone. That is, except Arnold the Brain Rothstein. Uh Uh-huh. Except for, he also could do that. Hmm. Right? Yes. Mm. So, the pool shark, Minnesota Fats. Wait, these names just are coming at me fast and furious. I love this. buckle up, baby. (laughs) So, Minnesota Fats, once called Titanic Thompson, quote, the greatest action man of all time. Now, he didn't mean like, oh, he's, you know, a fit guy and looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme. No. When he's talking about action, he means money, betting, big money bets. The Uh action you find in Vegas and Atlantic City, right? Now, the legendary golfer, Sam Sneed, once called Titanic Thompson, quote, the greatest hustler of all time. Wow. Right? I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is a Hall of Fame. Yeah. This is just like... Top shelf. Yeah. You, you pay for this kind of admission to see this show. Now, you have to understand that this guy, Titanic Thompson, was a phenomenal athlete, but he was also like, you know, just street level, a great golfer. He was so great. <laughs> street as, golfer? Well, I mean, like, <laughs> ground level, you know, like, entry pick, level. Pickup golf. Pickup golf. He was the kind of person that other golfers who are really good, like, why don't you turn pro? In fact, pro golfers would be like, why don't you turn pro? And when professional golfers like Sam Snead, who he golfed with, would be like, hey, Titanic, man, you're pretty good. Why don't you ever consider going pro? And he'd be like, you know, quote, I could not afford that cut in pay. Oh, wow. Yes. Smooth, baby. Dude, he was making money. Because you have to understand, as a professional road gambler, he basically worked the country clubs of the newly oil-rich Texas cities and towns. Now, that's a lot of loose and easy money to throw into your pockets because it was new to them. This is when the Texas oil industry was basically brand new and just starting to boom. So he went down there and was just cleaning up on the suckers, right? Right. So all those fresh marks in Texas, they kind of like, you know give him his name, if you will. Like you'll find if you read Golf Magazine, Golf Digest, whatever. All of them, I do. Which I know, you get them as a subscription, right? Yeah. I make sure they send me the ones from the 20s and 30s. <laughs> they will, uh, those magazines often will run little uh, profiles or mention things about Titanic Thompson. Like he is still a, a talked about figure in the golf world. Now what's, is Titanic's not his government name? What's? Who? Titanic Thompson is not his government name? What are you talking about? You don't think somebody's mother would name them Titanic Thompson? You're 100% right. No mother would name their child after a sunken ocean liner. So that is a nickname, and we'll get into how he earned that. But first, uh, let me tell you a little bit more about the shapes and contours of this man. Yes, please. One of his favorite cons was to bet against a golfer, and he would go on and and beat them. Now, typically, a con artist uh, is not going to do that. They want to instill confidence in their mark. He's like, I'm 
I'm going to go the opposite way because people might see me coming if I, like, lose. So instead, he would beat them. And the guy's like, oh, good game, and Mr. Thompson. And he was like, no, oh, Titanic if you're nasty. But he's <laughs> like, look, I know I just beat you, but how about this? I'll give you a chance to win back your money. And the person's like, I don't know about that, man. You just, you beat me pretty handily. You know, you were shooting in the 80s. I was shooting in the 90s. I don't know about this. Like, no, no, hear me out. I'll do the next game left-handed. They're like, well, now you're making it sporting. Okay, okay. Like, how about this? Double the bet, double your money, double or nothing, and uh, I'll play left-handed. That's suspicious. You see, you're smart. You're I skeptical. Am. These people down in Texas with their oil-rich money, they're like, okay. So <laughs> he would go out there and he'd play. And in that second game, he'd beat them too. And then they'd be like, man, how'd you do that? And that's when they would learn his secret. He was left-handed. Wow. So he would beat him right-handed, and then he'd beat him left-handed. Because so he, was... he knew if he could beat him right-handed, you know, done deal, left-handed. Yeah, yeah. This is my man. Now, like, wow. your brother, he's a lefty, right? He is. Now, Trav, uh, from what I recall, you were telling me that he, as a baseball player, would throw lefty and bat right? Or wait, I get that backwards. He threw left, mm-hmm. batted right, and what you hear from our theme song, he plays the guitar right, mm-hmm. but is a lefty. But he doesn't, He when he played baseball, he didn't switch hit. Okay, okay, so he didn't switch hit. He now, was like Ricky Henderson, throw left, bat right. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you're like Ricky Henderson, you're winning. It's the best you can be. Yeah, <laughs> so Oakland. Now, <laughs> uh, can you imagine your brother doing any of this stuff as a righty? You know, like, could you imagine him being able to compete athletically at the level that you've seen him by doing it as a righty? I don't think so. And now I really want to see him throw a baseball with his right, right hand because that's always really funny. If I were to throw a ball with my left hand, it's really funny. Yeah, no, most people have to, like, as somebody who, like, I'm, I tell people I'm ambidextrous because I started out using my left hand and my right hand. I was a house painter and I paint with my left hand and I use my right hand to do, like, strong stuff. My left hand to do, like, delicate and, like, exact stuff. You know, they're basically two different functions. But even if I go to throw with my left hand, I have to basically work out the mechanics before I do it. And then I can throw and I can hit whatever I want. But if you just throw me a ball and ask me to throw my left hand, it's probably going to come out like a shot put. You know, it's <laughs> totally, just like, totally. that looks awkward. Yeah. So Titanic Thompson did not do that. He could basically, without being ambidextrous, perform as an ambidextrous person. So he's person. like a switch hitter with he's pretty golf. Much, yeah, he's a switch hitter with golf. With I And mean, also, this is the kind of guy. He's a switch swinger. <laughs> I'm just going to let that one go because I don't even know where to take that. He's a switch putter. (laughs) Well, he, uh, okay, we'll just um, switch putter. (laughs) You know, that just sounds like. Sounds like butter. Yeah, like switch butter. You know, like just, (laughs) mm. Anyway, so Titanic Thompson, he really likes to pick on golfers. Another one of his like big scams was he once bet a group of golfers that he could basically drive a golf ball 500 yards, which is in a phenomenal length of distance, right? It's just like these days. Oh, I can totally do that. Oh. You know how you drive a golf ball 500 yards? Hmm. You put it in the passenger seat of your car and you drive. (laughs) That literally is how he wins bets. He once said he could throw a ball up to the top floor of the Empire State Building and Uh he threw the ball into the elevator and it just got sent up. (laughs) See? He's a big believer in your way of winning a bet. And in this case, he did exactly that. Oh, no way. Yes. He went out and he bet these guys I can hit it 500 yards. He's like, okay, now guys, get in my car. And then he drove them out to a frozen lake. He put the ball down on the edge of the lake, hit it. And in golf, if it keeps skipping, that counts. So he skipped it across the lake. 500 yards. Wow. That's smarter than mine. All right. Well, Thompson said at the time, I could outsmart, outcheat, outconnive, and roll higher than, than them all in my day. And that's no lie. 
Wow. And it really wasn't. Now, Titanic Thompson, though, was a lie. That was not his birth name. His government name was Alvin Clarence Thomas. Now, if you're a traveling gambler, it's good not to have the losers know your government name. So, therefore, he was willing to turn Thomas into Thompson and keep it rolling. That's close enough. It's like, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And people are like, oh, they must have misheard me. Yeah, if you misstate Thomas Mm -hmm. and they know, you you didn't hear me right, I said Thompson. Exactly. It's that uh, reasonable doubt kind of situation. So, there are two primary stories as to how my man Titanic Thompson got his name Titanic. Now, the first goes, he was actually on the Titanic. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? So, that doomed ocean liner's out there on the Atlantic. It hits the iceberg and starts to go down. Thompson's like, oh, man, I got to get out of here. So, he throws on some women's clothes, hops in a life, <laughs> yeah, adjusts his voice, and then he hops in a lifeboat, and he's like, take us to America, <laughs> whatever he said. And they're like, all right, ma'am. So, that was one way. The other way that he got his nickname. The story goes, he was in a pool hall in Joplin, Missouri. Now, interestingly, both stories take place in 1912. And the second story has nothing to do with the Titanic. He's just playing pool against a guy. The guy, though, is a pool sharp. He beats this other hustler, right? And it's just like pretty much two, you know, gamblers, basically. And he beats this guy. And the guy's like, oh, man, that was a good game. And Thompson's like, you want a little side bet? The guy's like, what are you talking about? I bet you I can jump over this pool table without touching the table. I was like, what are you talking about? This is like a nine-foot-long table. He's like, no, 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 these sides, you know, from rail to rail. And he's like, I don't know. Even that, I I couldn't imagine somebody being able to do. With not touching the felt. I will jump over. I will not touch the table, the felt, nothing. So he's like, all right, I want some of my money back. I'll take that. But Thompson then proceeds to jump over the pool table without touching felt. Wow. Right? Yeah, I told you, he's a phenomenal athlete. But he also, like I told you, he kind of like, you know, arranges his bets. So he had put a mattress on the other side of the pool table <laughs> and then he just jumped up as high as he could and basically fell onto the mattress. So he cleared the table, but in a way that most people would never think to do. Wow. So wait, <laughs> the prep of having a mattress, did he? He just had it brought in. He's like, go get me a mattress. Bring oh, it like because... right then. It wasn't yeah. like they were playing around a mattress no, while they no, were shooting is... pool. Like, oh, just don't mind the mattress there. Yeah, and this is not like a Sealy Posturepedic with springs and a... <laughs> Pillow top. This is just basically a bag of straw. <laughs> huh. Well, that's what mattresses were back no, then, I know. right? So it he, was a pile of bricks in my day. <laughs> just feathers and bricks. So this dude's like the guy who loses. He's like, someone's like, hey man, uh, that guy who just beat you and then embarrassed you by jumping over a pool table. What's his story? What's his name? And the guy who lost is like, no, I don't rightly know, but he must be Titanic the way he's sinking everybody. Oh, oh world star. <laughs> so this nickname, it fits. And of course, it sticks because, you know, it fits. Yeah. So the story goes that Titanic was known to always be ready for a bet. In his car, he carried a bowling ball. He had <laughs> golf clubs. He carried a hunting rifle, a pool cue, and a throwing rock. A, th- a throwing rock yeah, is no, an amazing say- thing to keep. Right? Exactly. That's what I saw. It's like, bro, what do you got a throwing rock for? But it well, turns out. Well, I just like the idea that it's not just, oh, he had a rock with him. It was a throwing rock. <laughs> it was like, it was going to help him win some bets. <laughs> so basically, this was like something he would use to, you know, it was like, oh, I bet you I can hit the that blossom on that tree. And so he would go out there and he'd get his rock and he would basically sidearm it and hit whatever he wanted. But the thing is, when I say a throwing rock, he had beveled the edges so he could fit his <laughs> finger in and he basically would just like... <laughs> whip it around. <laughs> Titanic Thompson was committed to the bit, right? Yeah. Now, of course, he also kept dice on him because who doesn't want to play craps with a gambler? Sure. Now, he had years of practicing dice to the point that 
if you just set him out in a hotel room and he had a hotel bed, he could flip those dice in his hand and get them to never, almost never, sit up a six or a snake eyes. He wasn't going to shoot craps, right? He wasn't going to get a seven. Huh. So he could pretty much, once every 10 rolls, a six or a snake eyes would come up. He could literally control the roll in the air of the dice. That's wild. Yeah, that's what I mean. He loved the action. So this was the era of the proposition bet. And this is when professional golfers and gamblers and pool hustlers and card shops would challenge each other to do these crazy feats of skill or luck. And they would all do all this for big money, like Titanic Thompson. Yeah. And I'm, say, I'm talking like thousands of dollars, not just like $5, $10 bets. They would bet like $100,000 on these things. There was this one time he's sitting out with his friends Hickory McCullough and Beanie Benson. <laughs> oh, wow. And they're outside of, yeah, I thought you liked these names, outside of Joplin, Missouri. And Titanic Thompson tells the story this way. He says, quote, that night I dug up a sign that said Joplin 20 miles and I replanted it five miles closer to Joplin. The next day we were riding along and I remarked to Hickory as we passed the sign. I said, those boys are crazy. It's not 20 miles to Joplin. Hickory and Beanie, they bet me $500 each that the sign was right. This is $500 back then. That's a lot That's of money. That's a lot of money. On a sign, the placement of a sign, they're like, I'll take 500 on that Yeah. Action. So they're like, okay. And so continuing the story with Thompson, he's like, of course, I won that bet. <laughs> now, do you know how he won that bet? He had moved the sign. So Hickory and Beanie <laughs> were like, oh, man. And as Thompson tells it, Hickory and Beanie used that same sign to win plenty of bets later. They're like, that's a good idea. It's a good idea. It's incredible. Now, these names, you, you, you commented on them earlier. Yeah. Hickory and Beanie are some of my favorites. What about the Southern nicknames? Oh, they, they're the masters. Right? The Southerners are the masters of great nicknames. Yeah, you were in Carolinas. I was in Georgia. I've traveled all over the country. Yeah. That is possibly, I think, the birthplace of some of the best nicknames I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I knew an old lady named Punk. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> I know someone who has a family member called Thumper. Thumper? Oh, my God. Are you yeah. kidding me? How um, old is Thumper? He's a grandpa now. <laughs> Apparently, his grandkids call him Thump Daddy. Thump <laughs> Daddy. Like Granddaddy Thump Daddy? Uh-huh. And then I know a, a guy named Brother. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, good yeah. nicknames. Dude, and also just real names. I mean, like, uh, well, yeah. in the NFL, there used to be a, a player named Peerless Price. Now, you <laughs> know his mom is from the South. When he, he named the baby Peerless Price. Yeah, well, he is peerless. Right? That's what I'm saying. He is uh, on par with none. So we're going to take a little quick break, and then I will be back with more of this story, and I'll tell you about a man with another great nickname, Arnold the Brain Rothstein. rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. 
a good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Elizabeth. Yes. Are you ready to meet Arnold the Brain Rothstein? Born ready. I like that about you. Now, at 15 years old, Arnold the Brain Rothstein realized that he had natural limitations. As, you know, don't we all? But according to him, ever since that day, he's like, you know what, man? I'm never, ever going to put a bet against a man that I am sure can beat me. That's a good way to live. The brain, right? I mean, you're smart if you can realize and recognize your natural limitations and then adjust and act accordingly. Yeah. He's like, I ain't going to let me be the enemy. But don't you think everyone should say I'm not going to place a bet against someone that I'm sure I can't beat? Um, Speaking for the con artists of the world, no. (laughs) I mean, come on now. (sighs) I mean, obviously, yes. It would be best if people were like, oh, but that's the whole point of the confidence of the con artist. They make you think like, oh, I can do this. And then they just take your pocket. Yeah. Now, Rothstein, he also had this nickname, The Brain, because he basically had a calculator for a brain. He could calculate the odds that he could count cards. He could memorize angles of any con he'd been a part of. And in the world of the gambling, having a brain that is basically a calculator is a money-making machine, right? So by the age of 12, he was a professional gambler. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just imagining a 12-year-old sitting at a card table is incredible. Oh, it gets better, right? The dude's born in 1882. So we're talking like turn of the century. He's born to an Orthodox Jewish family. His dad has this nickname, Abe the Just. Like huh. He's deep in the community. Now, Abe the Just is beloved, and he's like, you know, he, he becomes a, a small-time businessman. And his son is like, all right, we're Orthodox Jewish, which means on the Sabbath, on Friday night, we're going to pretty much shut down everything in my family. In the household, no power. I mean, it's not, you know, they had electricity, but it's like, we're not doing well, the no, electricity thing. no, you don't thing. use it. Yeah, well, I'm saying, yeah. yeah, but at that time, they actually had it as an option, you know. Right, but, it's like, yeah. but he's like, he's like, my family's not going to use it. We're all going to be, you know, pretty much chilling for the Sabbat, right? And meanwhile, he's like, 
I don't feel that way. So I'm just going to go out and gamble while nobody's looking. So he would go in, steal money out of his dad's wallet on Friday night. He would go gamble all weekend. And as long as he got the money back in his dad's wallet by Sunday, his dad would never know. (laughs) So he made his dad his credit line. That's incredible. At age 12, he's down there gambling with his dad's cash. Like, I just love this guy. Yeah, yeah. So in 1915, this is exactly three years after Titanic Thompson first earned his nickname, either on an ocean liner or a pool hall in Joplin, Missouri. We don't know. Arnold Rothstein, meanwhile, is living in New York, and he's been super successful. He's been a professional gambler now for five years. He opened his own gambling house in 1910. After that, he becomes a millionaire, but he notices that his rivals, these other gambling houses, keep getting robbed. Now, hold on a second. He's been a professional gambler for five years. Is Mm -hmm. he 17 at this point? No, no. He was born in 1882, so he would be 28 years old. Okay. Yeah, so he's like a a man at this point, like a full-on, like, and respected man of the community, right? Right. But... Still a millionaire at 28. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's doing stuff right, according to the American valuations. Yeah. Now, this gambling house that he opens, he's like, this is a target. So, you know what? I've seen everybody getting hit, and I'm going to come up with something nobody else has done. I'm ditching the permanent gambling house. I'm just going to invite people to my floating craps game. Huh. So he just let him know where the craps game was going to be that, that night or that weekend. It's like a pop-up. Yeah, he pretty much invented pop-up gambling. Wow. Everyone's like, this is genius. <laughs> now, if you ever heard of floating craps game, that is basically the major plot point of the musical Guys and Dolls. Yeah. And I had mentioned that earlier as they were inspirations. Turns out Arnold the Brain Rothstein was a double inspiration. Not only was he inspiration for Boardwalk Empire, but also for Guys and Dolls. Now, we'll get more into that in a second. But first, let's get back to Titanic Thompson. Yes. Titanic was a Southern-born, world-class athlete. You know, he's like, Amanda loves action, loves a good bet. And Arnold the Brain Rothstein, he's from the East Coast, New York. You know, they're very different men. But at the same time, they had very similar views about how the world is populated with suckers. Arnold the Brain Rothstein once said, quote, the majority of the human race are dubs and dumbbells. They have rotten judgment and no brains. And when you have learned how to do things and how to size people up and dope out methods for yourself, they jump to the conclusion that you are crooked. It's kind of a misanthrope. Right? Exactly. No, they, I mean, if you're going to be a con man, I can just tell you right now, you're a misanthrope. Yeah. So... If you can believe it, these two men, these two very different men, the irresistible force and the immovable object, if you will, of crime, they become (laughs) friends. Right? Exactly. (laughs) And now some men are self-made, like Arnold the Brain Rothstein. He was a self-made gangster. And in fact, he was so good at it, he soon had enough money that he could basically build himself up into a real legitimate businessman. This Mm -hmm. is the traditional like, oh, I'm a legitimate businessman. He was the OG of that. He goes and gets himself involved in like Tammany Hall politics in New York. Now, just to let you know, when I said earlier, this is a hall of fame of criminals. Yeah. Arnold the Brain Rothstein is so successful early on in New York in the crime that he gets himself enmeshed with power politics, which means the mayor and so forth. But then also with the underworld, the real power that runs the city. This is a list of some of the gangsters who once worked for Arnold the Brain. Okay. Lucky Luciano. Oh. Yeah, he's considered basically the godfather of organized crime. Yeah. Then there was Meyer Lansky. 
He uh-huh. was a Jewish gangster, a close associate of Luciano. He basically became known as the mob's accountant. He was the one who came up with a lot of the schemes that they would use for decades. Then there was Dutch Schultz. He was a friend yeah. and rival to Lucky Luciano. There's movies about him. I think, um, what's his name? Um, Dustin Hoffman plays him in a movie. Oh, okay. Then there was Bugsy Siegel, right. who gets played by Warren Beatty in a movie. He would go on to found Las Vegas as a getaway and dream destination for both middle class and mobsters. Exactly. Now, finally, there were the Italian mobsters who also worked for him. Carlo Gambino, yeah. who was head of the Gambino <laughs> crime family. And Frank Costello, my, my, my father's favorite, the head of the commission and the head of the Luciano crime family. And basically created the, the organization of the five families of New York and New Jersey. Yeah. All of these people get their start working for the brain. Wow. Right? Now... This Hall of Fame of 20th century mobsters, and they, um, in a sense, not just learn from the brain, but they follow in the traditions. Remember I told you he invented the heroin trade? It was all because of, like, how he would loan money to mobsters. He basically took the model of, hey, I'm going to break into my dad's wallet. I'm going to go gamble, and then I'll put the money back. He just kept doing that, but with other people's money. He started gambling, and he's like, oh, I'm going to buy heroin with your money, but I'll get it back in your wallet on Sunday, essentially. He was so successful, that was his thing. So he becomes known as a money lender. He's also a fence because, like, somebody who can move stolen goods because he knows all these legitimate rich people. He's, of course, a drug kingpin because of the heroin deals. He is also later a pioneer and inventor of the bootleg uh, get-arounds. He basically comes up with a way to get, uh, you know, whiskey from Canada and uh, rum from Cuba and Puerto Rico and, like, the various islands of the the Indies. He's bringing over, you know, champagne and brandy and stuff from Europe. He's like, we can get this here, right? Logistics. Everyone else else is like, I was making bathtub gin. What, what do you, you got a champagne, You're man? poisoning each other. And yeah, he's exactly. like, no, I'm going to get you the good stuff. He's like, man, I don't want your grandma to go blind trying to drink this stuff. <laughs> Give her some of this brandy I got. <laughs> no, I've kind of hinted at how much power he's had and like how uh, influential. This was how influential he was with the power politics. And I quote, if politicians wanted something from gamblers and vice lords, they approached Arnold Rothstein. If the underworld sought protection from Tammany's judges and prosecutors and pliant police officers, it too approached Rothstein. He made things happen quietly and without fuss. More importantly, he left no trails of evidence and everything ran smoothly and profitably. Wow. Right? That's the kind of, you know, like, I'm not trying to say we need crime, but I'm just basically saying it's not going away. And it's so the kind of criminal this is the kind need. of criminal that I would like to see in the world if we have to have crime. Right. Not the loose cannon. Exactly. Yeah. It's just violent and exploitative. Anyway, these people, he's basically giving people what they want. And uh, he would do that at a 25% interest. Oh, ouch. Well, he's a businessman. So <laughs> gambling is what ends up making him wealthy and bootlegging makes him powerful and yeah. it turns him into a gangster. Prohibition starts in 1920. Just to go over the particulars, I don't know if people know this stuff. January 16, 1919, it gets ratified by yeah. all the states. And then one year later, in January 17, 1920, we get the passage of the Volstead Act oh, and yeah. boom, now you can't drink unless you have very special dispensations like, you know, uh, a doctor's note. Oh, I need this. It's my medical whiskey. Right. So, <laughs> which people got? People could legit got, dude. Yeah. Like uh, Churchill when he came over. I was over, gonna say that's what that's who I was he had FDR of. arrange for him to have a little like I need my nip. It's a medical exactly. whiskey. So this was common. Now the brain. He as I told you, he was bringing over like booze from Canada. He's doing this on trucks and boats. He's got rum runners, which are fast boats. He's also got boats coming into the New England ports. So these fishing towns are also part of his rum running. He just doesn't give a flying. F. Flip. Flying flip. Flying flip. So this dude, uh, he also is very resistant to press. So 
the brain won't talk to anybody because he doesn't. What what good is it to him? Like, right. Well, you know, but eventually, yeah. What are they going to do for him? Yeah. Like, how would this be good for his? Like, publicity is not good. Everybody who needs to know knows who he is, right? So, but eventually, this journalist Zoe Beckley, who is a rare journalist who at the time is a woman, is able to score an interview with Arnold the Brain Rothstein. Yeah, she's like Nellie Bly. Like, she's like a badass, right? Yeah. So. She writes the only portrayal that we have of him that takes place in his lifetime. Huh. Yeah, right? She describes him as, quote, a promoter of big deals, a multimillionaire, a sentimentalist, a hard-boiled egg, a whale of a good fellow, and a power to reckon with. Wow. Right? She <laughs> seemed to kind of like him, right? So, but, yeah. <laughs> but the, meanwhile, like, while she's describing to us all these things about, like, oh, he's such a, like, you know, a power broker— she also would point out that there has not been a big prize fight, a gold rush, a Wall Street flurry, a great horse race, or a real estate boom in years that Rothstein hasn't had a hand in somehow. This mm. is what he gets known as. If it happened, Rothstein probably yeah. made it happen. Yeah. Right? Now, he also is known for having, as she writes, more friends than any other man in the United States. The reason he has is that he knows how to be a friend. It seems to be his religion. But don't double-cross him or he will roll up the sleeves of his white silk shirt and get right after you. And when he's finished, the ambulance will be coming for you. Clang-a-lang-a-lang. <laughs> she actually put that in the article. Clang-a-lang-a-lang. Clang-a-lang-a-lang. So anyway, she also basically includes a couple quotes from him. And so Beckley noticed that Rothstein explains to her, my code of life is absolutely simple. Help a friend, be a friend. That's pretty good. Now, what's his definition of happiness? He also provides her that. Rothstein tells Beckley, quote, being a good scout, keeping busy, and helping people. <laughs> right? It's just all pablum so, nonsense. He doesn't mean any of this. It's like the worst responses to that Proust quiz in the back of Vanity Fair. <laughs> what's your favorite cuss word? <laughs> yeah. He's so, all, my favorite cuss word is gosh. <laughs> it's all plucky. <laughs> So there was one other writer who got to know Arnold the Brain Rothstein pretty well, and actually was also friends with Titanic Thompson, and he would write about them. And this writer's name was Damon Runyon. Uh -huh. Ever heard of him? Yes. Yes, right? Now, his writing style has its own adjective, Runyon-esque. Exactly. Now, if you were to reach the level of a writer where you had an esque at the end of your last name, <laughs> what could you imagine that something is Dutton-esque? Makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I do think it would have things like, you know, dogs with sunglasses. It would have dogs with sunglasses, an overuse of the word perhaps, and uh, again, not make a whole lot of sense. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take that. If you, if you insist, you know what's Dutton-esque better than anyone. That's right, I do. So Damon Runyon, he had a newspaper column that covered all these colorful characters that he was hanging out with in the old Broadway area of Manhattan. And his stories were typically would focus on colorful language, these bets, this desire to like, you know, like, wait, do you have the racing forum? That whole lifestyle of tracks and cards and pool halls, that was his thing. So when he would meet a man like Arnold the Brain Rothstein or Titanic Thompson, he's like, oh my God, this is like literary gold, right? Yeah. So he ends up basically taking them and turning them into the characters who would then inspire the very famous musical that's based on Runyon's world that's called Guys and Dolls. Okay. Right? And if you know anything about Guys and Dolls, it mostly takes place in this one deli called yep. Lindy's. Yeah. Now, Lindy's was a Manhattan deli made famous by this musical. It's located, or it was located on 50th and Broadway. And while it was a deli, it was really more of a restaurant. It had tables and chairs, waitresses and waiters, and of course, killer desserts. So the question of whether Lindy's sells more cheesecake or strudel ends up being a central plot point in the musical 
Guys and Dolls. Now, Brando and Sinatra are in the movie version of that, and, and Nathan Detroit is played by Sinatra, and he is the stand-in for Arnold the Brain Rothstein. Sky Masterson, played by Brando, is a stand-in for Titanic Thompson. So these two and their larger-than-life personas are what Damon Runyon used in whole cloth to create these characters that become so beloved. And after this break, I will be right back with the stories of these larger-than-life characters and what made them so larger-than-life, because their rivalry... Oh, boy. Oh, I can't wait. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh, my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free Free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. In the fall of 1950, the musical Guys and Dolls has its premiere on Broadway. Now, Arnold the Brain Rothstein, if he had lived that long, would have likely never seen the show. He also probably wouldn't have seen the movie. Apparently, he never saw a single movie in his life. (laughs) Instead, he would have just been at Lindy's holding court the way he did on any given day. Right. Because that was his life. Now, Runyon records that this guy, Rothstein, was a man of habit, a creature of habit, if you will. He would, according to Runyon, quote, always sit facing the door so that nobody can pop in on him without seeing him. Now, this is just, you know, my father taught me the same thing. Basically, you always sit with your back at a wall, be able to see the front door. And that's yeah. just like some pretty yeah. much standard gangster you know, reasoning, right? But he is kind of the one who made that the thing. This Because before this, people weren't getting popped in public. Yeah. You know what I mean? He kind of like set the mold. And in a lot of ways, as I keep pointing out, the underworld owes a big debt of gratitude for him going, look, if you want to do stuff right, this is how you do it. Yeah. So imagine him 
at Lindy's, and this is the deli where these two men, Titanic Thompson and Arnold the Brain Rothstein, would finally meet and become gambling friends. You ready? I'm ready. All right, I want you to picture it. Yes. You're seated at a table in Lindy's. You're enjoying a slice of cheesecake. Maybe it's a piece of strudel. I don't know how you live. Mm. Now, you see Titanic Thompson stroll into Lindy's Deli. He walks right up to Arnold the Brain Rothstein, and he introduces himself to this famous gangster and gambler. And Thompson says in his charming Missouri twang, Howdy, I'm Alvin, but they all call me Titanic. Now, the Brain, he didn't like to be touched. Thompson gets the clue, so he's like, let me, you know, not like, press my flesh on him. Now, before he can spin on his heels and walk away, though, the brain takes this moment to invite Titanic to sit down and share his table. He's like, Ty, sit down with me. Ty ties. <laughs> Titanic's like, all right, all right. And he starts to, like, pour on the charm. And he's basically trying to, like, you know, like, straight guy woo this gambler. <laughs> he's going to bro like, him down. Yeah, bro him down do. hard. So... He's seated there with him. Thompson's using all of his most colorful Southernisms. And he's like, man, he's like bragging to the brain about he's got this get up and go car that's so fast that he's like, you know, man, quote, it's as fast as a minnow swimming as a dipper. Okay. Like, what? Fast as a minnow swims a dipper? What does that even mean? Arnold Brain Rothstein's like, man, I'm from New York. We talk in words that make sense. I ain't from Southern make a up a stand. So this like Thompson's like, oh, let me back up and put a little more charm on him, right? So now he's like, I'm kind of reading Rothstein. And at the same time, there was a third man at this table watching their exchange. Uh It's Damon Runyon. Oh. So Runyon's like, oh, man, this is like... Uh, a star-crossed moment. So he's just taking it all in. He starts basically making mental notes and comparing how these two guys are alike and dis-alike, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, well, this is very interesting. They both seem to be very health-conscious. Neither man smokes or drinks at a time when pretty much every man smoked and or drank. And in fact, Titanic Thompson would use the words health-conscious, like, oh, I'm thinking about my health, right? He tells the men, look, I, I don't eat any of these fried foods. For a Southern man at that time, he's like, I don't eat fried right. foods. Is like... Just like, wait, are you really from the South, bro? So they're like, oh, but luckily, Arnold the Brain Rothstein, being smart as he is, he's like, I'm about that life too, son. Fresh fruits only. They're like, yes, you get me. So They were both like pioneering the wellness. A hundred percent. So Damon Runyon's sitting there. He's like, this is so bizarre to see. Meanwhile, you're in Lindy's watching this all with them, right? And you notice that the brain agrees about this value of fresh produce. And you're like, man, this is like, I was expecting fireworks, but these two seem to really dig each other, right? I'm, I'm at the next table. I'm sipping on a little cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I've got the cheesecake and I'm leaning in and they can see that I'm eavesdropping. But you're trying to act like the cheesecake's so good? Yeah. They're like, why is she leaning over to the side so much? But, you know. I, they ignore me. I'm not a threat. <laughs> I've made that clear. They know. You're just possibly I'm talking to you're myself looking for like horse tips. I've got my, my lipstick is sort of smeared all over. They're just like, let that crazy lady You're eat just sitting there eating your cheesecake. I got the horse right here. His name is Paul Revere. Man who says it the weather is clear. Yeah, that's Can exactly. Do. Yeah. Sorry, I'll stop singing. But anyway, the brain, he's like, man. You know, I'm about that fresh food life, too. And he pulls out his bag of figs, which he keeps in his jacket pocket and basically just eats on all the time whenever a hunger strikes I him. I like his style. Titanic's almost like, oh, man, that's that's dope, man. You keep a bag of figs on you. He's like, oh, I keep this thing on me. So now Rothstein gets up, and you watch as he starts to leave the 
the restaurant, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, where, where are they going? And then Titanic Thompson gets up and he walks out. And you're like, so now you turn and you watch as they leave the restaurant and you look through the window and you notice that they stop just outside. They talk for a moment. You're like, wait, what's going on? When like, I fog up the window, so I have to like wipe it down. <laughs> yeah, you're With, drawing like, smiley faces. I cheesecake on the window. I'm like, God darn it. I should have used my other hand. Yeah. So you're watching as Titanic Thompson and the brain go over to this produce stand, right? There's a fruit vendor at an all-night fruit vendor shop, or stand, rather. Huh. Yeah, this is like Manhattan, baby. That's this amazing. is Times Square, all-night fruit vendors. The 24-7 farmer's market. Mm-hmm. It's a city that never sleeps. I like it, it. always has fruit for you. So... <laughs> The Titanic Thompson, you notice the two of them are using some strange body language. You're like, what is he? He's like looking <laughs> like he's like like throwing his arm around and the brain seems to be like laughing. And all of a sudden, you can't quite hear it, but you see that like 10 bucks comes out of Titanic Thompson's pocket. He slaps it on the fruit vendor's stand. You're like, oh, they're making a bet. And you start paying attention. The fruit vendor pulls out a dollar bill. He slaps down uh, a dollar. He's like, I want some of this action, Ty. <laughs> meanwhile, the brain's like, all right, well, let's see it. Titanic Thompson basically takes a peanut in his hand. Now, this uh-huh. peanut he has taken from the fruit vendor who has a basically like a barrel of peanuts. And yeah. he's like, I bet you I can throw this peanut across Times Square. And the brain's like, let me see it. Uh, you, you got a bet, son. So he's like, cool. Now, Titanic Thompson balances that peanut in his hand. He begins this tremendously exaggerated baseball pitcher-style wind-up. You, sitting in Lindy's, you're just impressed as all heck. You're like, who the Juan Marichal is that? <laughs> now... He leans back and fires that peanut, and it goes slinging across the air, right? It goes and skips. Like, it's not touching the ground. I say skips. I mean, like, it's just flying, hovering in the air. You're like, what is that peanut doing? It's moving kind of oddly, just tumbling over itself. But it's clearing the trolley tracks. It clears five lanes of traffic. (laughs) It clears all the way over to the other side of Times Square. And the brain, watching this, he just starts laughing. He knows he's been taken. He knows he's been had. He's going to have to pay up on this bet. But, you know, he's willing to do it. He pays up because he lost. Yeah. And he's like, man. I just have to know how you did it. And Titanic Thompson collects his winning from the brain and he's texts his money from the fruit vendor who's like, you know, man, that cost me a dollar, but I, that was really impressive. Much later on, Damon Runyon shares with people who were not there that day. And for you sitting there watching from Lindy's, unaware of how could a man throw a peanut across right. Times Square? Impossible. Well, it does not seem inconceivable. So it turns out he had doctored a peanut. <laughs> But not only had he doctored a peanut, he carried a doctored peanut around with him at all times. Note to self, I got to start doing that. Yeah, he'd casually forced this bet. When he saw the dude, the fruit vendor had peanuts, he's like, perfect, I'm going to use my doctored peanut. So he pulled it out of his pocket and then he got brain to go along with the bet because who's ever like, hey man, I bet I can throw a peanut across Times Square. They're like, "Uh, yeah, you, you, you've you been drinking the bad whiskey. Let's yeah. take that bet. So the brain did not see this one coming, but it taught him a lesson about Titanic Thompson, which is Titanic Thompson is... Always wanted to surprise you. So (laughs) the brain's like, that was worth $10 of education. Yeah, right? Now, I used to do kind of... I've told you, I I like con artistry. I like criminals. I was raised uh, uh, loving the mafia. I learned more about Murder, Inc. and Albert Anastasia than I did about, like, Snow White. You know, my Mm -hmm. father would tell me bedtime stories about black cowboys and gangsters, pretty much, right? So I knew all this stuff. But it also gave me this love of things like con artistry. So... 
later on and I was like older, I wanted to be a little con artist. So like I would go like with my mother, we went on a trip to Seattle, went to a Pike Street marketplace. They had a magic shop there. Uh -huh. And you're like, oh, a little kid, they're going to go, you know, power nerd around this magic shop and find some stuff. What do I go buy? A double-sided nickel so I can con my friends back home. <gasps> I'm not like, amazing. oh, I'm going to do a trick and impress them with my magic You tricks. didn't want a whoopee cushion. Nope. You didn't want, no, you wanted <laughs> So like... I know I'm odd to make my mother like take me on a family trip to a magic store so I can con my friends. But like, did you ever do anything like that? Am I alone in this? So like that you would like, I'm going to go get myself a double-sided nickel and I'm going to get these suckers. No, I did not have that impulse. Yeah, I didn't think Surprise. so. But I just thought maybe just teeny little bit. No, no, no yeah. not really. Yeah, no, that was me. 100%. <laughs> That's, all me. So, That's all you. So this Titanic Thompson was basically a, a hero to me because like, you know, he does this kind of stuff always. Like, one day Titanic walked into Lindy's, and, of course, the brain is sitting in there at his private booth, per usual. He walks up to the table, he points at the daffodil decoration on the table, and he offered the brain a new wager. He's like, I'll cut it down from 10 paces, Titanic tells him. He's like, you mean, you mean the daffodil? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. So the brain gets interested. How Wait, are you going to cut a daffodil down from 10 paces? What are you even talking about? Titanic's like, don't worry about that. Counts out 10 paces. He's like, nope, that's not enough. I'll give you an extra five. So he now steps back five more steps. And he's like, okay, that's the right distance. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out from the depths of his suit jacket pocket a pack of playing cards. Everyone's like, playing cards? Huh. There was a sports writer who was there that day at Lindy's who witnessed this. And they recorded it as such. Quote, he scaled cards so skillfully that each sharp edge left its mark until the 35th card, it snapped the stem of the flower clean. So they sat there while he threw 35 cards. 35 playing cards. I don't, I have a, a hard 60 time. 60% of the deck, basically. Right. I have a hard time understanding the whole betting culture of that. And that's just me. That's what I'm trying to say. Is it, like, I grew up revering these people and I couldn't get people into proposition bets because nobody wants to like, care. I'm going to give you like, $20 to see you jump over. No, they no, don't do that anymore. No, if he said anymore. to me, I can cut that down from 10 paces, I'd be like, well, good for you. Yeah, but you know what? The, the I bet I can do it. I'd be like, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm no fun. You seem very talented. Well, yeah. And, people and you seem say, very like, sure of yourself. People always want to make bets. Like, I bet you I can, yeah. you know, do whatever. And I'm like, I, you totally can. You seem like a goer. I love taking the steam I believe out of in conversations. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to understand, though, this is what people did before we had smartphones. I did it before I had a smartphone. Well, not you. I'm saying is I mean, I, I gotta have something fun to do, I okay. suppose. Before we had radio and smartphones, what? What are you looking at? <laughs> well, I think it's just, I think it's a personality thing. I yeah, think no, that, I think yeah. so. But also it's a cultural thing because up to the point of mass communication, so basically the radio is going to be new in the 20s, you know, so we're like at that point. So yeah. people are into mass communication, but up to then you only knew regionally. So yeah, like, oh, totally. You only knew what you knew. So there was a lot of times people would take a bet just to see if it worked, just to see if someone could do it. And that's yeah. often what you see them doing is like, all right, let me see this. Yeah, completely. Then later on, once we raise the, the public's uh, general education through mass communication, people are like, no, people don't do that in Racine or whatever you're trying to tell me. Right. Like, oh, I've been to Racine. You're like, I don't know, I've seen Racine. <laughs> seen on the TV. So with him, it's a little bit more of an ego. And also he's got the money to be entertained. So he's like, for $10, yeah. I want to see you do that. And so Titanic Thompson is kind of an amusement to him in yeah, some sure, ways. Sure. So I've got one more story between these two professional gamblers. And this okay. one is a, a favorite. You ready for it? Yes. One night, the brain and Titanic are standing outside of Lindy's. They're outside the deli. Damon Runyon's there too. Of course. <laughs> yeah, right. That guy just apparently just never had took time to write. I don't know when he got his <laughs> writing done. But anyway, the three of them are sitting there passing time, pre-smartphone style. And a Titanic comes up with a little action. He's like, I got a bet for y'all. They're like, 
well, what is it, Ty? Ty's like, you see them passing cars? They're like, yeah, yeah, I see them. He's like, see how them license plates? Like, yeah, how are we not going to see the license plates? He's like, you ever, you ever thought about how they look like a, like a hand of poker? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, like the numbers. You can just say like, oh, I got two twos. I got a, I got a, I got a five, six, seven. You're like, like, oh yeah, I, I see what you're saying. They're like, yeah. Well, I'll bet you that I, using only New Jersey license plates and you using New York license plates, I can beat you. They're like, what do you mean? Like next car that goes by with the New York plates, that's your card. Next car that goes by with New Jersey plates, that'll be my hand. I'm like, okay. No. Arnold Rossian's like, Okay, I can't quite see the angles on this. I can't see what the advantage is, but I want to see how this plays out. So he takes the bet. The Titanic's like, I'll bet you a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. That the next New Jersey plate we see beats the next New York plate. I'd be like, oh, oh you're right. It will. I'm not going to bet you a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's why you don't have a nickname. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. It's not like Elizabeth. You know, the 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 brain. <laughs> no, Dutton. definitely not. So the brain's like, man, I like this action. You got a bet, son. So the men turn and they watch these approaching cars. Now, there's a car with a New York license plate that drives past. It's because they're in New York City. So, of course, like the first car that goes past, he's like, okay, that's yours. Now, this license plate has a pair of nines on it. Okay. That's a pretty high pair to beat. So, it's looking like Titanic Thompson's going to have a hard time beating a pair of nines. But Titanic, he's ready for it. He takes <laughs> off his hat, wipes his brow. Now, this was a signal to a man down the street who was waiting down the block in an idling car. This man spots no. the signal. He pulls the car out into traffic and he no. drives past the three men standing out front of Lindy's. He drives past real <laughs> slow-like so they can <laughs> see the license plate all clearly. And the three gamblers read the license plate in unison and it has three threes on it. Get out of here. Yep. He had to, oh. You know how it is. Three of a kind beats a pair. <laughs> sure, Titanic but... <laughs> Thompson had beat the brain yet again. What if it was, What if he had asked me, do you want to bet that? I'd be like, no. No. He's like, nah, I just Let's gave that money. Let's go get some figs and walk around. He's like, oh, <laughs> and he's got to somehow, hold on. He goes trotting down <laughs> the street. He's like, never mind. Ixnay, Ixnay. Yeah. Yeah. Save it for tomorrow. I'm going to get a new sucker. <laughs> Come back. To, you, you got anything you're doing tomorrow? <laughs> So anyway, basically, Titanic Thompson, he beats the brain yet again. And this time, the brain was like, man, I can't even mess with you anymore. You're just like, oh, because he knew he'd been rigged. This is not like yeah. he just got lucky. The one New Jersey plate happens to go by with three threes. He's like, man, come on now. Now, there is one other big bet amongst these fellows. Mm -hmm. But this is one that Titanic Thompson had nothing to do with. And it was one that would later haunt Arnold the Brain Rothstein for the rest of his life. In fact past the rest of his life. It has become his legacy. You see, in 1919, Arnold the Brain Rothstein rigged the World Series. Oh. Yeah. Now that is a ridiculous crime. It's called the Black Sox Scandal. Yeah. What have you heard about or what do you know about the Black Sox Scandal? Uh, there's the movie, right? Was it Eight Men Out? Eight Men Out, yep. Mm -hmm. The John Sayles movie. Yep. So that's it. <laughs> I was waiting for more. I thought maybe you might mention Field of Dreams. I don't know where you're going to go with <laughs> I got you covered. In 1919, the World Series was, interestingly, a best of nine series. Oh. Yeah, it was the first year they'd done it. Well, the reason they did that is because they were experimenting with lengthening the series because there was it was a young professional sport. Basically, mm -hmm. baseball at that time, there were... They were young. They were experimenting. They were Exactly. It was the college years. <laughs> There was, there was two leagues at the time. There was the American League and the National League. But there was also a third league that most people do not know about these days, which was called the Federal League. Oh. The Federal League only lasted for two seasons, 1914 to 1915. But that was enough to give Major League Baseball a really good scare. And in fact, the Federal League is why we have Wrigley Field. The original team to play in Wrigley Field was a Federal League team called the Chicago Whales. Oh, wow. And back then it was known as Wigman Park. Yeah. And then later on, a family chewing gum empire purchased it and named it after family, which you now know as 
Juicy fruit. <laughs> so back Juicy to the, fruit acres. <laughs> back to the Cubs. They lost the series in 1918 to the Boston Red Sox. Now, for deep baseball fans, I don't have to tell you this, but for anybody else, neither one of those teams would win another World Series until the 21st century. Yeah. It began a long curse. People lived and died and never saw them oh, ever yeah. get close to a pennant. Yeah. So the Red Sox finally do it in 2004. The like Cubs do it in Harry 2016. Harry Carey, right? Yeah, Harry Carey. 100% Harry Carey. I once got a signature of his, and it was like on a like a like I saw him at the at Wrigley Field at the Cubs game, and I was like, "Oh my God, Terry Carey went down there!" And I was like, "Yeah, babe, would you sign this?" And he, and I had only thing I had on me because I'm a basically a young punk is a sharpie for like writing on buses and stuff. <laughs> so I give that to him, and he writes on the front page of the like the slick Chicago Cubs, like whatever, like you know, basically the the program, the program. Right? You're yeah. gonna score the game, so he writes on that. Well, <laughs> it slipped right off. So Aww. I have a Harry Carey. Like autograph in my imagination. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Have one. Anyway, so the White Sox, who Harry Carey was a broadcaster announcer for before the Cubs, they were the odds-on favorite for the 1919 World Series. Except for there were something called gamblers. Now <laughs> there was a rumor that the previous World Series had been fixed, and you know some gamblers are like, "Man, if that's true, I want in on that action. That's a lot of money. You got 50 million Americans probably going to be gambling on this, but not all of them. But you know, right. a lot of 50 million Americans at that time were really into baseball. So according to the story, there was a professional gambler from Boston. His name was Joseph Sport Sullivan. <laughs> Just like the most generic. Yeah, totally. It's like they <laughs> ran out of names. They're like, okay, you're going to be, a, I don't know, Sport. Sport Sullivan. That works. It's They're alliteration. Fingers and you're... <laughs> yeah, you hand, you're a left they're hand. You're a piece only and then you're... <laughs> you're going to call you uh, Bacon. Okay. <laughs> so Sport Sullivan and this gambler, he's like, oh man, I need to do something because I got a really crappy nickname. So he's like, oh, I'm going to approach the first baseman, Chick Gandal, and the pitcher, Eddie Sickett, of the White Sox and get them to uh, throw a World Series. And they're like... Is it the White Sox or the Black Sox? Well, the, that's all I'll get into that. But okay. basically, if you want the a short answer... A lot of answer, Sox going on here. White Sox is the team name. Black Sox became the nickname for the players who were yeah. dirty. Makes more sense? Yeah, okay. totally makes sense. So this gambler, Sports Sullivan, he offers the player 10 grand each if they tank the series. Huh. It's a pretty good amount of money. It's a lot of money. I mean, it's not like, you know, Titanic Thompson and Arnold the Brain betting kind of money, but it's good money. Well, and I don't know how much were these ball players making. Oh, no, yeah, this is a lot of money for them. Yeah. I mean, this is like a good amount of money. Like, yeah. Especially, we're talking 1919. That is like, you know, a million whatever dollars. Right. So the story always goes that Sport Sullivan contacted them. But as recent investigations have looked back, they discovered that it's far more likely that Chick Gandle and Eddie Sickett approached the gamblers. They were like, look, last year some ball players, they rigged the World Series. We could do that for you. Yeah. The gamblers are like, really? Well, you know who we're going to need to get in on this. Everybody else. And the ballplayers are like, yeah, the rest of my team? Because I'm a pitcher and he's like, we can't do this on our own. I mean, so the first base and the pitcher, I mean, we're important, but not that important. And yeah. if we just constantly miss all of our throws, that'll look suspicious. So they're like, okay. So Gandal and Sickhead are like, look, we can throw the World Series if we can get like, we don't need the whole team, but we need to get a couple more players. Gambler's like, how many do you need? And he's like, well, let us talk to them. So they go and they talk. They talk to uh, third baseman, Buck Weaver, the shortstop, Swede Risberg. Uh, there's a pitcher, Lefty Williams, the center fielder, Happy Felch, and third baseman, Fred McMullen. So they're like, okay, hold on. We got to talk to Buck, Swede, Lefty, Lefty <laughs> Happy, and Fred. <laughs> and Fred. <laughs> And then also, you have to keep in mind, the star of the team I've not mentioned yet, Joe Jackson, oh. with the best nickname, Shoeless Joe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Shoeless Joe got to get in there, too, with Lefty and Buck and Happy and Swede. So I love how I only know these, like, 
little bled in parts of it. Like, yeah, right. I think I've learned, I knew this at one point, but I bet you did. Yeah. You know, you breathe in enough solvents and chemicals. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to refresh your solvent stained memory, (laughs) the White Sox decide, okay, we got eight of us. We're going to all be able to throw. They're like, okay, that's enough. But they go back to the gamblers. They're like, okay, we fixed the World Series for you. It's going to cost you $80,000 for all of us dirty ball players. And the gamblers are like, ooh, yeah, that's a little more than we expected to pay. We're going to need to call in somebody. So they go to the man nicknamed the Big Bankroll, a.k.a. the Brain. Yeah. They're like, hey, Brain, what can we do about this? So the gamblers, they get these uh, other gamblers, Sleepy Bill Burns. <laughs> <laughs> and a retired prize fighter, Billy Marharg. And the gamblers, because Sleepy Bill Burns was actually a, a kind of a surrogate uh, underling of the brain. So they're like, hey, go, go talk to your boss. So Sleepy he goes, in the brain? Sleepy in the brain. So Sleepy hits the brain up. He's like, hey, man, I got this new this new uh, investment opportunity for you. And Brain's like, all right, tell me about it. So they set up a meeting. So the brain shows up to this meeting. It's the night before the opening game of the World Series. Mm-hmm. The brain meets with these professional gamblers. He sits down. They tell him about the fix. They're like, look, man. We got it all worked out. And they tell him, this is how much it'll be. It'll be about $100,000 for you to pay for all of the ball players and the fixers. And we got it covered. And then you can bet whatever you want, man. With their like $20,000 finder's fee. They bumped it up. You noticed that. Uh Good good math, right? So the brain's like $100,000 to fix the World Series. It's not bad. And they're like, yeah, we got it all lined up already. And sleepy Bill Burns is like, yeah, tell him, Billy. And Billy's like, yeah, hey, brain, we got it all lined up. He's like, you got it all, all the players are down? They're like, yep. And like, you, you, you've paid them? Like, no, we haven't paid them yet, but they're going to do it. We just have to pay them after a couple games. They're like, hmm, uh, no, I'm not doing it. They're like, wait, what do you mean you're not doing it? He's like, why would I do it? And they're like, well, because you're Arnold the Brain Rothstein. You are the financier. You are the underworld's bank. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to ruin my reputation. He walks out. That wasn't the real thinking he had. Wait, ruin his reputation as yeah, like a he can't dope get in, dealer. Well, he can't get involved in some like penny ante. Oh, okay. And also, these two rather less professional gamblers, Sleepy Bill Burns and Billy Marhark, they had told the brain everything he needed to know. He's basically like, you told me the fix is in. You told me which team you paid off. Why would I give you money now? Yeah, he. they essentially went to like the best bank robber in the world and mm-hmm. laid out the blueprints to the bank they were going to rob. Mm-hmm. We're like, so and this told is them how the time. They told him everything. So if you could just give us a little seed money, and yeah. then we can we can make this happen. And instead, he's like, I'll just pay someone else to rob that same bank. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Right at the same time. And then everyone will go after you guys. And yeah, they're like, perfect. Oh, oh, wow. I can see why they That's, call you the brain. I was just going to say that. <laughs> so... Regardless if he arranged it or if he had bankrolled it, the brain is such a presence in the underworld that everyone assumes that if the fix is in, he must have done it. Oh, yeah. And when I say everyone, I mean like even F. Scott Fitzgerald knew about it. What? Yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> he heard wind of this rumor and he added it to his book that he was writing at the time, The Great Gatsby. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. He, and like, but he didn't call him the brain because he was like worried that like the gambler gangster would go and kill him. So oh, yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to name him uh, something anti Semitic like Meyer Wolfsheim. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. he comes at him and he has Nick Carraway meet at a luncheon and get introduced by Jay Gatsby. Mm-hmm. And this gangster, gambler, anti Semitic trope, Meyer Wolfsheim, he is looking sharp in a suit with cufflinks made out of the molars of a human being. Being. That's right. Right? Do you remember that detail? Yeah, you I totally to you. Yes. remember that. So F. Scott Fitzgerald, not a fan of the Jews, he goes through with this wildly <laughs> anti-Semitic thing where he basically pins all of the evils of America on this guy. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's how F. Yeah. Scott Fitzgerald writes in Great Gatsby, quote, 
The idea staggered me. I remembered, of course, that the World Series had been fixed in 1919, but if I had thought of it at all, I would have thought of it as a thing that merely happened, the end of some inevitable chain. It never occurred to me that one man could start to play with the faith of 50 million people, with the single-mindedness of a burglar blowing a safe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his like rendition of the power of American individualism. Let's blame this guy. Yeah. So meanwhile, pull on your bootstraps, kids, because F. Scott Fitzgerald was wrong. Arnold the Brain Rothstein had not fixed the World Series. He was way too smart for that. Instead, he just profited off of it and allowed some people to gamble. But a year later, all these whispers about Arnold the Brain Rothstein fixed the World Series, they bubble up into an investigation, a criminal investigation. There are an indictments. It's like a big deal. During the investigation, the Brain, the New York Times comes to him. They're like, hey, man, Brain, did you do this? And he's like, y'all know better than that, son. And he says, <laughs> and I quote, my friends know that I have never been connected with a crooked deal in my life, but I am heartily sick and tired of having my name dragged in on the slightest provocation whenever a scandal comes up. Oh. Yeah. Meanwhile, the brain gets indicted. So <laughs> he has to go into court, but the trial doesn't last a terribly long time. He eventually gets cleared of all charges or any involvement in fixing the series because as they interview people like Sleepy Bill Burns, they tell them he told us no. So right. there is no paper trail. Yeah. Remember I said, he's like, oh, yeah. I ain't going to be dragged in with this nonsense. Exactly. Meanwhile, the owners of Major League Baseball, they create a new position because now they have a scandal on their hands. People are getting dragged into court because people are fixing the World Series. And yeah. this is bad, not just for sports, but for, you know, the integrity of the game. So they hire this dude, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, a retired judge who's brought in to clean up baseball. Now, Kennesaw he... Mountain Landis. Yeah, he's named after a Civil War battle. Wow. Yeah, Kennesaw Mountain. So he bans the eight players who'd taken money to throw the World Series. They're all kicked out of the game for life. Buck Weaver argued that he had never done this till his dying day. Shoeless Joe Jackson, he takes his punishment because he knew he didn't yeah. get so. But that's the great loss of the sports, basically Shoeless Joe Jackson, and then the heart of Buck Weaver, and then Eddie Sickett and Lefty Williams were pretty good pitchers. Eddie Sickett was actually a really good pitcher. Yeah. But anyway, the other great loss is that this new commissioner was a virulent bigot. From, no. Yeah, can you believe it? So he decides with his new power over baseball that he will rule to protect the integrity and the image of the game. So he decides that black players will also be banned from the Major League Baseball. Wait, <laughs> That's now, how were, he's going to... Okay. There were no black players involved in the Black Sox no, scandal. There were no, no play, black players on that team. But Judge Landis is like, well, I got to protect the game. So he decides black people cannot be a part of this. Oh. And in 1921, he makes it illegal for Babe Ruth's All-Stars to play exhibition games against Negro League players. And this essentially becomes the color line ban that you hear about in baseball that Jackie I... Robinson had to break in 1947. I had no idea. It that all comes down to this Black Sox scandal. And basically because they have these Jewish underworld figures and this idea that, oh, black people are playing exhibition games, things are changing. They decide they throw it all together and like, no black socks, no blacks. And they just, wow. yeah. So meanwhile, everyone preferred to focus on the legend of Arnold the Brain Rothstein. And they credited him with this fix that he'd never actually arranged. Of all the crazy things that this dude did, like inventing the heroin trade, pretty much revitalizing bootlegging, or actually, I guess, kind of inventing all of the tropes of bootlegging that we think of as criminal ways to get paid. Yeah. 
all this stuff, being the banker to the mob, helping the mafia create a commission and create like the, the various structures. None of that does he get credit for. Instead, everyone talks about this one thing that he did not do, which is fix the 1919 World Series. That's wild. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It's not the good kind of ridiculous. It's more like no. the American history kind of ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. But this is why I prefer to focus on the stories of the brain and Titanic Thompson from their days as gamblers, as characters from that Damon Runyon story, and as inspirations for Nathan Detroit and Sky Masterson. That, to me, is the good kind of ridiculous. That is a great kind of ridiculous. So, Elizabeth Dutton, what is your ridiculous takeaway from this story? My ridiculous takeaway is that um, you just got to make sure you got a solid nickname in life. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, just go where the wind takes you. And, hello, carry around a weighted peanut. Yeah. That is, that was, you took mine. That was exactly what I was going to say. Because I I was like, I need to get back into carrying around like sham goods and doctored things. It's a life hack. And I've learned to never accept a coin flip bet from you. (laughs) Yes, this is true. Ask my (laughs) sister. Sister can tell you all the things not to trust about me. I learned a lot today. (laughs) Yeah, we we all learned some things and you learned important things. (laughs) I did. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Dutton. I'm Zarin Burnett. You can find us online at Ridiculous crime on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank everybody. And we thank you. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by the real commissioner of Major League Badassery, Dave Couston. Research is by the ever-skeptical, never-easily-conned Marissa Brown. Our theme song is by Sleepy Thomas Lee and Travis the Love Boat Dutton. Executive producers are Ben, Big Hickory Bolin, and Noel the Spleen Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.